0: When the storms of life hit, as they do, what we do is that we instinctively grab hold of a life vest. We we look for a lifeline here on this earth, a worldly solution, if you will, instead of turning to the one who can calm the storm. So you have to ask yourself then, who exactly is the Lord? Bernie Diamond, and thanks so much for joining me again on Christianity Works. Today, we're heading into the final message in this series called On Solid Ground, and right now, today, it's time to choose your king. So, let's do it. Let's head into God's Word, and please do stay tuned because in just a few minutes, I'll be telling you how you can receive Christianity Works free daily devotional. It's called Fresh and it's all about helping you live in the victory that Jesus died and rose again to bring you. Over these last few weeks, we've been looking at what it means to get our feet back on solid ground in life. You know, when we go through storms, we're bobbing around like a tiny little boat floundering on an angry sea and sometimes we don't know which way to head, which way's up, which way's down. All we want to do is put our feet back on solid ground. And it turns out that you don't always find that solid ground exactly where you expect to find it. And we've been exploring this whole idea of getting our feet on solid ground through the story of a humble woman called Hannah, who honoured God and turned to him in the midst of her storm, and at the completely other end of the scale, a priest called Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas. They were evil guys, and they got their just rewards and the nation of Israel who struggled with their God. And if you've got a Bible, grab it and open it up. Over these last three weeks, we've been looking at the first seven chapters of the book of 1 Samuel. Now, 1 Samuel appears, I guess, about a third of the way through the Old Testament. We're going to finish off that series today with the crux of what this is all about. We're going to have a look at the decision that ultimately determines whether our feet are on solid ground or not. It's a decision between the obvious and the not-so-obvious. What is it that you and I can decide to do that will absolutely ensure that no matter what comes our way, our feet are on solid ground? Now, the pivot of this whole story, the contrast between Hannah on the one hand and Hophni and Phinehas and their dad Eli on the other, happens, if you remember the verse, if you've been with us over these last few weeks, in First Samuel chapter 2, verse 30, where God says, Those who honour me I will honour, but those who despise me will be treated with contempt. You know, going to pick up that story today. The priests are dead. They've got their just rewards. Hannah's son, she couldn't have a son, remember, but she now has a son. He's grown up. Samuel is the judge and the prophet and the leader over all of Israel. Now, that's a really important concept because they didn't have a king. All the other nations had a king, but Israel did not because Israel's system of government was a theocracy. That meant that God was their king, and God appointed judges and prophets to declare his word over the people of Israel. So he administered justice, this was Samuel, he was a prophet who declared the will of God, and God was the king to the people. Now that was unique among the nations, and as we saw over the last few weeks, when they honoured God, when they obeyed him, that nation's feet was on solid ground. Now, the story takes an interesting twist. We're going to pick it up in chapter 8 of the book of 1 Samuel. Here's how it goes. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons didn't follow in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together, and they came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to Samuel, You're old and your sons don't follow in your ways. Appoint for us then a king to govern over us like the other nations. But this displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord and the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they've rejected me from being king over them. Just as they have done to me from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt to this day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so also they're doing to you. Now then, listen to their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel reported all the words of God to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He'll take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and, and to run before his chariots and, and he'll appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some will plough his ground and reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. He'll take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his courtiers. He will take one-tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give them to his officers and courtiers. He will take your male and female slaves and the best of your cattle and donkeys and put them to his work. He'll take one-tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, we're determined to have a king over us so that we may also be like the other nations and that our king may govern us and go out before us and fight our battles. Isn't it interesting? All this time, you go right back to the slavery when Israel was in slavery in Egypt and and God released them through some major miracles and through the parting of the Red Sea and and then into the Promised Land and they captured the land battle after battle. All this time, there was a simple, simple principle that God honours those who honour him. And, And God did and God won the battles for them and God delivered them. And now they reject their king, their God who is able and willing to bless them and to protect them. Why? Well, actually, first they blame Samuel's sons, and no doubt there's something in that. But actually, if you find out the reason towards the end of that verse, look again at the passage we've just read, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 8. But the people refused to listen to the voice of Samuel. They said, no, we are determined to have a king over us so that we also may be like other nations and that our king may govern us and go to battle and fight our battles for us. They wanted to be like all the other nations. Now, let's think about that. Israel is unique. God is their king. He promised them the promised land. He has the power to make it happen. Whenever they honour him, he does make it happen. And yet they want to reject him. Why? So that they can be like all the other nations. Is that stupid or what? None of the other nations have an invincible God as their king. So why do they want to be like the other nations? Because in the heat of the battle... They want a king they can see, a king of flesh and blood. Their enemies have a king at the head of their army, so they want one too. And and they're prepared to give up the perfect power of the king of kings for a poor substitute so that they can have a king that they can see. How often do we do that? How often do we put our faith in things that we can see in our investment portfolio to provide wealth, which is fine until the economy goes belly up, in our career, which is fine until our health fails. In other people, which is fine until they desert us or fail us. See, when, when we hit a storm, you know what we want to do? We want to reach out and put a life preserver on instead of go to the one who can stop the storm. We want something we can see and touch and feel instead of putting our faith in the one whom we can't see. A favourite scripture you hear people quote is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that says we walk by faith and not by sight. And that's great until the storm hits, when we'll definitely go for something that we can see and touch and feel ahead of someone we can only see by faith. We'll pick that anytime. time. And that's the point when we step off solid ground onto a stormy ocean. I'm Bernie Dimatt and you're listening to Christianity Works. As we take this short break, I'd like to tell you about a free daily resource that I'd love to send you to help you draw closer to God and live in the victory that Jesus died and rose again to give you. It's called Fresh, a short daily devotional with a powerful scripture verse and some words of inspiration, hope and encouragement delivered right into the inbox on your smartphone, tablet or computer each and every day. Or, if you prefer, you can now receive a printed version delivered right to your letterbox. It's completely free. To get instant access either to the digital or the printed version of Fresh, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com. You'll see the fresh e devotional sign up right there on the top of the home page. Or if you prefer, give us a call toll free on 1300 722 415 to request the printed fresh devotional. It's completely up to you. That's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll free on 1300 722 415. So go ahead, sign up to receive fresh, and may your heart be touched and transformed as you draw ever closer to Jesus through his word. All right, let's get straight back now into God's word. Yeah, just, just like Israel, we want to be just like everyone else some days, just normal, everyday people who put our faith in things that we can touch and feel. It's something the Apostle Paul rejected. Have a listen Second 2 Corinthians 5, beginning at verse 1. He says, We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, if indeed, when we have taken it off, we will not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under our burden because we wish not to be unclothed, but to be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us his spirit as a guarantee. So we are always confident... Even though we know that while we're at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we do have confidence, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. See, here Paul's talking about the struggle between the temporal and the eternal, between what we can see and what we can't see. And Paul's saying, look, I've got a body, I've got a tent, but one day that's going to pass away. And my faith isn't in the here and now. My faith is in God. I walk by faith, not by sight. It's about where he puts his confidence. Now, let me tell you how easy it is to appoint an earthly king like what Israel was trying to do and to reject the king of kings even when we're out and about doing God's work. There's ministry that that I'm involved in, Christianity Works. It's been going for 50 years out of Australia and, and yet when I took over four years ago there were hardly any people supporting the ministry. It had almost no income. It was going broke. There were no programs going to air and four years ago It's still pretty fresh. It's not long ago. I remember the panic attacks over finances. You you see the money dwindling away and wondering when we're going to go broke, not if, but when. You see, what I was doing, I wanted a big bank balance, something that would provide security that I could see. And and I had to turn away from that. I had to put my trust in God alone. And these days, sometimes, let me tell you, things are still very, very tight. And and whilst I do my part in all of that as a good steward of the money that supporters entrust to the ministry... Over and over and over and over again, let me tell you, as we've done our best just to simply honour God in in all that we do here in the Ministry of Christianity Works, he has honoured us. It's as simple as that. Now, let's go back to the story and find out where the real problem was here with Israel and the kingship of God. Well, Israel got its very first king, like all the other nations, and God, through the prophet Samuel, appointed Saul. Let's have a look at it in the first couple of verses of chapter 9 of the book of 1 Samuel. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, son of Abil, son of Zeror, son of Bekoroth, son of Aphia, a Benjaminite, a man of wealth. He had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. He stood head and shoulders above everyone else. So the prophet hears from God and God says Saul is the king. If they want a king, they're going to get Saul. And initially, at least, after he's anointed, Saul has success because even though God was rejected by his people in favour of Saul, God is a God of grace, and he continued to honour them and bless them even though he warned them of how the king would turn out. And we saw that before the break. See, sometimes when we reject the kingship of God in our lives and choose something else, career or wealth or whatever it is, initially we have some success. But as we'll see later... Saul ended up in abject failure. In fact, Saul, if you want to read it in First in Samuel chapter 31, committed suicide in the middle of battle. It's easy for you and me to say, well, what's the problem here? It's probably not a bad thing that they had a king to lead the nation. What's the problem? I do have to invest and plan for my retirement, sure. But do we do it under the kingship of God? When God's calling us to give a substantial amount of our money to, let's say, the poor, do we do that? Or do we suck it away for our retirement? Who or what do we put our trust in? Who or what do we submit to? Listen again to what Samuel said to Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. Samuel summoned the people to the Lord at Mitzpah. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, The God of Israel, I brought you up out of Egypt. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today... You have rejected your God, the God who saves you from all your calamities and all your distresses, and you have said no, but set a king over us. That's the problem. They rejected their God. They rejected the great unseen for a king who was far inferior to God, but whom they could see. See, despite all that they knew, they knew that God had brought them out of Egypt. They knew that he'd rescued them from the Egyptians. They knew that he'd rescued them from all their oppressors, God said, I did all that. Could, couldn't you see that I was your king? Couldn't you see that I am worthy of your trust? Couldn't you see that with me you have your feet on solid ground? Couldn't you see that? No, they couldn't see. And no, some days we can't see it either. We're blinded by the dazzle of what this world has to offer. Never ceases to amaze me, you know, in times of economic prosperity. People behave as though there's no tomorrow. They, they put their faith in the money they're earning and their stock portfolios that growing and, and the house that's mortgaged up to the hilt and the new car and, and all that stuff. But then, when the economy eventually takes a dive, as mind you, it always does, they cry out and scream at the price of petrol and the high interest rates and the risk of losing their home. Can I tell you something? You can't live a life of peace if you're putting your trust in an inferior king. You can't have security when you put your faith in those things that will fail. You can't. I can't. It just doesn't work. I'm Bernie Diamond and you're listening to Christianity Works. I just want to take a moment during this short break to share something truly important with you. Believing in Jesus, believing that one day you'll have the gift of eternal life, well, that's one thing. But actually living your life as though that's true, living in the victory that he died and rose again to give you, well, that's a whole other thing. That's why I'd love to send you a free copy of our latest life application booklet. It's called On Solid Ground. It's full of life-changing, practical Bible teaching to help you actually live every moment of the rest of your life in the victory that Jesus died and rose again to bring to you. In fact, at the end of each chapter, you'll find a series of life application questions to help you think through and apply God's Word right into the realities of your life. To request your copy, stop by our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or give us a call toll-free on 1-300-722-415, and we'll send your free booklet straight out to you in the post but this is the very last week that this particular booklet will be available, so please don't miss out. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on 1300 722 415. Okay, let's get back to God's Word. I want to take us right back now to the beginning of this series, to the first chapter of 1 Samuel. It's the story of a simple woman called Hannah. She was one of Elkanah's two wives. The other wife, Peninnah, had children. Hannah had none. And if you've ever been in that situation where you can't have kids or you know someone in that situation, you know how incredibly painful that is. And to make it worse, the other wife, Peninnah, would give Hannah a hard time over this. Pretty tough. It was a real storm. It was going on year after year after year, this, this pain of being childless. Now, Hannah had a lot of choices in that space. She could have been angry. She could have lashed out. She could have withdrawn. Her husband didn't help her much. So what does Hannah do? 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 9. Once they'd finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple in the bitterness of her soul. Hannah wept and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow. She said, Lord God Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me, and do not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. And as she kept praying to the Lord, Eli the priest looked at her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but, but her voice couldn't be heard. Now Eli thought she was drunk. And said to her, "'How long will you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine.' She said, "'Not so, my Lord. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord.'" Isn't that beautiful? "'Don't take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief.'" And Eli answered, "'Well, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked for.'" She said, "'May your servant find favour in your eyes.'" And she went away and she ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now it turns out, see, Hannah was a nobody, not like the priest. She wasn't a man in the social structure. She wasn't a priest. She was a nobody. She just goes and pours out of her heart to God amidst the bitterness of her soul. Turns out God honors those who honor him, and she does have a son. She calls him Samuel. She gives him back to Eli. She gives him over to God as soon as he's weaned. And he comes and serves at a priest in the temple under Eli, whom she discovers later is a bad dude. This priest is supposed to be a go-between between between God and his people, yet he and his sons have no respect for God at all. So Samuel is put there by faith by her. Now, we've heard the story. Samuel grows up. He becomes a mighty man of God. You know why that happened? Because Hannah honoured God. And God says, I will honour those who honour me, but those who despise me will be treated with contempt. And that's what Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas found out when they died, because they did not honour God. And then we saw how because of them, Israel ends up rejecting God. And you know how that ends up? In defeat. Saul ends up committing suicide. You can look at it in chapter 31, the last chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. Israel rejected God as its king. And God said, well, okay, I'm going to warn you. You're rejecting me. I'm going to give you a king, but this is not going to go well for you. And because they wanted a king that they could see, they rejected God anyway. They chose Saul, and it ended up not well for them. The Philistines defeated them. Saul died. The one who is honoured by God is the one who honoured him. How did she do that? In her misery and her pain, in the bitterness of her soul, She didn't act up. She didn't complain. She didn't grumble. She put her trust simply in God. She poured her soul out to him. God honoured her. Eli didn't. His sons didn't at the end of the day. Saul didn't. Israel certainly didn't. The one who did was Hannah, and God honoured her because she honoured him. I want to lay a challenge before each one of us today through this story. We all go through times, you know, when, when we would like to have our feet on solid ground and yet we're all over the place and things don't seem to be working out and, and everyone's coming up against us. I want to lay a challenge before each one of us today, you and me. We have to choose our king. It's either God or it's something else we trust in. You can't have both. You can't serve two kings. You can't serve two masters. It's either going to be God, the great unseen reality, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, or it's going to be something we see, a life preserver that we can grab onto. problem is, life preservers might stop us from sinking for a while, but they can't stop the storm. Only God can stop the storm. There are people listening today, And your life seems to be one endless storm. Maybe you're absolutely sick to death of being tossed around by angry waves. Maybe you're in that boat today. Well, it is time to put your feet back on solid ground. It is time to say, you know something? I I may be a nobody like Hannah. It may be that I'm not an Eli, I'm not a Samuel, I'm not a, a David, I'm not some big person. I'm some little unknown person like Hannah. That may well be the case. And yet in this whole story, she's the only one who received God's blessing because she's the only one who honoured God. She received her son Samuel, who had such a mighty influence over the history of her nation. And Hannah was on to something. Maybe today it is time to say, I Choose my king. Either we're going to choose God or we're going to reject him and choose something that we can feel or touch. I can choose a soul in my life. You can choose a soul in your life. And it may give us a sense of security for a little while. You know, when that boat is bobbing around the ocean, you grab for the life preserver. That's a pretty good thing. Probably a pretty good feeling. But the life preserver doesn't get us out of the storm. It just keeps us floating there for a bit longer only one, the only one that can get us out of the storm, the only one that can put our feet back on solid ground is our King God. You want your feet on solid ground? This whole story that we've been looking at over the last four weeks in the first nine or ten chapters of 1 Samuel, this whole story is about the kingship of God. And the story tells us very clearly, you want to put your feet on solid ground? Go honour God. Go choose him as your king. Go submit to him as your king. Let me ask you something. Which one's going to work? The king of kings or Saul? Which one is going to put your feet back on solid ground? Which king will you choose in your life? all we have time for today. But before we go, there's something very important that I need to share with you. This program, Christianity Works, is encouraging so many people in over 160 countries to live in the victory that Jesus died and rose again to bring them. But that's only possible through the generous support of friends like you. Each dollar that you give toward the ministry of Christianity Works today will help reach over 2,500 people with a gospel message. So a gift of, say, $35 can touch over 85,000 people with the good news of Jesus Christ. That's amazing. So let me encourage you to give a generous, tax-deductible gift of support to Christianity Works today. You can do that right now, securely online, by visiting our mobile-friendly website, ChristianityWorks.com, or by calling 1-300-722-415. And when you do get in touch, please don't forget to request your free copy of that life application booklet that I mentioned earlier. It's called On Solid Ground. Again, that's online at ChristianityWorks.com or toll-free on one 722 415 Thank you so much for your support and for joining me today. I'm Bernie Diamond. Catch you again same time next week with another message of God's love, God's grace, and God's power for each one of us in Jesus Christ.